Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to open it up to Proverbs chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to follow along in a blue pew Bible you can find in front of you. Proverbs 15 is on page 538. And we're going to jump right in because we've got a lot, a lot of ground to cover this morning as we continue in this summer series in the books of Psalms and Proverbs, these um, major kind of poetic books in the middle of our Bibles. And there's a woman named Tish Harrison Warren. She is a minister in the Anglican Church of North America. Um, she writes a weekly newsletter in the New York Times that I subscribe to, and last week's timely article was entitled this, Why Does God Keep Making Poets? And it's a question that she posed to Abram Van Engen. Nice Dutch name there, Ben, for you. Uh, and Van Engen is a Christian. He's also a professor of humanities at Washington University in St. Louis. And he has a forthcoming book on poetry with a great title called Word Made Fresh. And here's Van Engen's answer to that question. Why does God keep making poets? One reason I think we keep making poetry is because we ourselves are poems. There's a verse in the Bible, Ephesians 2.10, in which we are described as the handiwork of God. But it's the same Greek, word, Greek root that goes into the word poetry. It means a made thing. A more literal translation is that we are, as human beings, the poems of God. So we keep making poetry because we are ourselves poems. I think it also addresses a related question that I've talked about before, is why do we keep making new music? Why do people keep writing songs in 2023? Uh, have you ever thought like me that, like, man, everything that could have been written already has been written and sung? Like, what else more is there is to, to say? But the reality is, even if you don't write music or play music, why those of us who listen to music, even if we listen to all different kinds of music, pretty much everybody loves music. Why? Why is your heart kind of searching for, kind of wanting new music? Well, I think there's something wired in us that's drawn to listen to it, per, uh, perhaps find some deeper meaning within it. We, uh, interestingly enough, connect with strangers over music, and we don't connect with strangers over pretty much anything because we love made things. And perhaps, like Van Engen says, it's because we ourselves are made things. So, it's no wonder, then, why Psalms, the longest book in the Bible, is a collection of songs, poetic songs. It's why Proverbs, a book on wisdom to navigate everyday life, is in the genre of poetry. And why it's in the middle of our Bibles. That we don't just think it, when you read it, you, you feel it. And you get to a point where poetic language is actually the only way to explain real life. So, last week, in Proverbs chapter 4, we saw that before the wisdom of God is a way to live, it's just kind of a guidebook on how you should live, the wisdom of God is a person to depend on. That in our own strength, we can't be wise. The instruction can be good, but we can't be wise in our own strength. But rather, when Jesus Christ is our wisdom, when he walks the path of wisdom perfectly on our behalf, once we place our faith in Jesus Christ and receive a new heart, we can then grow in wisdom. That's the whole key to Proverbs. Nothing in Proverbs will make sense unless it leads you first to Jesus Christ to depend on and then learn from Jesus Christ and how to look more like Jesus Christ. You with me? You need Jesus to be your wisdom so that then when he teaches you about wisdom to look more like him, 
you can actually walk that path. And he marks it out for us. So in that way, Proverbs is for eternal life. It's to lead you to Christ. And Proverbs is for every day. And so when you get to the um, this section of Proverbs, which is kind of chapter 10 through 31, which is really just kind of the list of wise sayings or Proverbs, um, there are many themes and topics that tend to emerge above the rest, things that get talked about more often. Themes like planning for your future, um, your emotions, how to handle your emotional life, money, sleep, friendship, sex, humility, how to think about life and death, everyday things that everybody's interested in, as well as what we're going to look at this morning, words. The wisdom of words, or as we'll see in a moment in Proverbs 15, the lips of the wise. So let's go to 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, and then we'll be bouncing around to a bunch of different places, which verses will be on the screen, but we're going to launch here, Proverbs 15, 1 through 7. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. Verse 7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the heart of fools. Words. Words. Studies show that the average person sets their mouth to speak 700 times a day. Now, as you're computing the math in your mind as we speak, you might think, no way. I don't speak that much. Okay, fine. Cut the number in half. 350 times a day. You still say, no, 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 no. You don't know. I'm a man or woman of few words. Okay, cut it in half again. What if you set your mouth to speak 175 times a day? That doesn't mean the amount of words, but the times that you set your mouth to begin speaking Seven times an hour. Uh, Remember, we're not just talking about audible. We're talking about the things you type, the things you write to others. We're talking about the things you also say to yourself. So let's say you are truly a man or woman of few words. 175 times a day you set your mouth to speak. What other things in your day do you do 175 times? Not much. So words are as daily and common of routine as you experience in this life. And yet, at the same time, words have as meaningful of an impact over your life. Uh, It's why parents often remember the first words of their children. And why children often remember the last words of their parents. Words are powerful. And words are daily. They are memorable and they are forgettable. And so underneath it all, we see that God cares about words. And, and, and so here's the thing about this morning as I've been pre- praying and preparing for it. Honestly, I think most of you are probably not going to learn anything new this morning. It's possible you won't learn anything new. But I pray and have been praying that you would be made freshly aware 
and motivated to apply that which you already know in this area. So, we're going to look at this in kind of three ways. Again, one sermon about words is kind of impossible, but let's try to Let's try to do it. We're going to look at three things. Words we say. Second, words others say. And then finally, words God says. Starting with words we say. Um, So in total, there are about 90 proverbs or wise sayings related to how we speak throughout the whole book. 90, 90. Uh, So perhaps you've heard people say, perhaps you've thought this or maybe have said this yourself. Listen, God doesn't care about the way I talk. Like it's not that big of a deal. I just am who I am. I say what I say. There's a lot of bigger things in the world, a lot of bigger problems, more important things that God is worried about than how I speak. It's just words. But remember, Proverbs as a whole tells you that God cares about your eternity and he cares about your everyday. God is involved in the big things in your life and in this world and what we might consider the small things. Like, like, do you know that your God is big enough to give you a new heart by sending his own son to die on the cross for your sin? And, hear me, he's big enough to guide your lips on a Monday morning. He's big enough. And so he cares about how you talk. Because what we see over and over again in this book is that words have the power to both build up and the power to tear down. Did you notice the contrast in Proverbs 15? If your Bible's still open, look back down. Verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but, contrast, a harsh word stirs up anger. Verse 2, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but, contrast, the mouths of fools pour out folly. We can go outside of Proverbs 15 for this point, too, and these will be on the screen. Proverbs 10, verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And then, most clearly, this is seen in Proverbs 18, 21. If you you ever are into memorizing scripture or memorizing Proverbs, 18, 21 should be at the top of the list or near the top, which says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Words. Words are a central aspect of stewardship in your life. Uh, um, Let me personalize it. I will wake up every day, by God's grace, and decide how will I steward that which I will do most today. Speak. Do you think about speaking? And again, in our day, words go far beyond now what comes out of your mouth, but often words get crafted by the tips of your fingers, in the way you text, in the way you DM, in the way you email, in the way you post on social media. Words. Words can kill, and they can divide, but they also can save and unite. Uh, This reminds me of a group of punk rock theologians. The band Hawk Nelson. I'm afraid to ask if anyone's ever heard of Hawk Nelson. We're talking early, mid-2000s. A poor man's Reliant K, if you will. All right, Hawk Nelson. Had a couple good, good albums. They had one song called Words. And here are some of the lyrics of their song. They've made me feel like a prisoner. They've made me feel set free. They've made me feel like a criminal. Made me feel like a king. They've lifted my heart to places I've never been, and they've dragged me down back to where I began. Words can build you up, and words can break you down, 
start a fire in your heart or put it out. Score one for the punk rockers on that one, all right? We talk a lot about wanting to make an impact in this world at Grace Church. We talk about wanting to live with a purpose, right? That we, we yearn that for one another. We pour ourselves out for the glory of God. Every area of your life to be poured out for the glory of God. Like, we don't want to waste our lives. Like, I don't want you to get to the end of your life and be like, man, I wasted it. I was too distracted. I, was, I wasted it all. And so we want to live our life with purpose. We want to live our life with, with a big impact. Well, in this area, in order to think big, we need to think small. A big impact comes from making a commitment to small things, starting with the words we say to God, to ourselves, and to others. Uh, there's a commentator, J.A. Motyer, and his commentary on Proverbs, he says this, quote, words are a pretty good window into your character. Do you see that? That words like, are a window into your heart. That The words you say each and every day are a window, and people look through the window, and they see your heart through your words. Which is exactly what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Jesus says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Do you see it? Life and death through your words. So if we break this down quickly, the same commentator, Matyar, uh, helpfully categorizes the Proverbs that warn of evil words into four broad categories that you see in Proverbs. So we're going to run through some of these. They'll be up on the screen. You can follow along there. The first is gossip. The first category of evil speech is gossip. Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 20, 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. There's more for all these categories, but just for the sake of time, moving on. Number two, falsehood or lying. Proverbs 10, 9. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Proverbs 14, verse 5. An honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies, pours them out. Third category, quarrels. Proverbs 17, verse 19. Whoever loves transgression loves strife. He who makes his door high seeks destruction. And then fourth, anger or impatience. Proverbs 14, 17, a man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. That's just a little bit of a taste of what you see all throughout Proverbs. And in all these categories, the common denominator is the same. That a pattern of or a daily habit of destructive speech kills, it separates, it exposes an unhealthy heart. It's a window, you see. And I think what happens is when, when somebody tends to be in one of those categories, it's not limited to just that category, but you see it all across gossip and lying and, and quarrels and anger and impatience. It's a window of what's going on inside. It exposes an unhealthy heart. But hear me, God's call in your life is not to just think about what you shouldn't say, right? The Christian life is not just about what you have to stay away from, 
particularly in this area of words. But it's also to cast a vision for your life of how impactful you can be in this world through your words. How life-giving you can be on the positive aspect of words. And Proverbs has a lot to say about that too. He talks about truth and speaking truth. Proverbs 15, verse 7. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the heart of fools. We just saw that. Proverbs 24, verse 16. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Whoa, how about that? You forgot that one was in there, didn't you? Encouragement. Proverbs 12, 14. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. And the work of their hands brings them rewards. And what you see maybe most commonly in the positive side of words in uh, the book of Proverbs is self-control. Proverbs 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Proverbs 13.3, those who guard their lips, what a phrase. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. But those who speak rashly will come to ruin. This is the most common calling on your life every single day. You don't have to wait far into the future to apply this. Like it starts today, you wake up, it starts again tomorrow. Every day, there's a vision before you to use your words to build up, to save, to infuse courage to others, parents to your children. What an opportunity every day to think about how my words can infuse courage into them. Show them what self-control and guarding your lips looks like. And, and here's the thing about a sermon like this. Uh, it's easy to talk about this. I doubt at any point at this point people are disagreeing with what I'm saying, right? It's easy to talk about this, to affirm it. Why is it so hard to implement? Why can this be so hard for us? Well, for starters, um, we're not robots, all right? I don't know where things are going. This AI thing is getting a little weird and a little fast, all right? But right now, you're not robots. We're emotional people, embodied people. And in the letter uh, that James writes to the church, in the epistle of James, which outside of Proverbs is probably the book of the Bible that speaks the most about the way we talk than any other, James writes this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, listen, that your passions are at war within you? That's why this is hard. Because each day, there's a battle raging inside your soul. I don't think it's overstating that fact. There's a war of passions. There's conflicting desires that you have, and we feel it. And, and we, we feel the desire to, to operate according to the flesh and how we initially want to act versus really taking it under the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives to say how we ought to act. And so let's not let this sermon passes by without doing some honest reflection, maybe now in this moment for a moment, but maybe further today. Can you reflect on some things with me? Let me ask some questions. Is it easier for you to critique others than it is for you to encourage others? Does sarcasm come more natural to you than confession? Are you easily angered, quick to lash out at your kids, your spouse, those working with you or for you? Do people have to walk on eggshells around you because of your temper? 
to care more about what you can appear to make seem true than what is actually true. You get that? Do you care more about what I can make seem true to others than actually say what is true? I hope you know me by now that I don't ask these things to bring shame. I ask in order to say to you that you don't need to live in the trap of destructive words. It's a prison, man. It's a prison. And in Christ, you can be set free from that. You can be set free from that. And the issue is not just about your mouth. The issue begins with your heart. Do the heart work and the mouth will follow. As we fix our eyes on God and we seek to trust Him with our entire lives, not just our eternity, but our every day, we will commit to engage in this battle that is at war within us and not run from it. That we don't have to give up on our speech. We don't have to say, you know what, it's just the way I am. Or it's how my family is. Or it's how people within your ethnic descent are. It's just how we talk. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're part of a new people. A people that's from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And so our words can kill or our words can save. So I'll close out this first point going back to our punk rock theologians. Their chorus, and I don't think I put this on the screen, but their chorus is this. Listen. Let my words be life. Let my words be truth. I don't want to say a word unless it points the world back to you. Words we say. All right, let's keep going. To number two, how do we think about words others say? Our days are not just filled with the things that we say, but things others say to us or around us. Again, in our day and age, these are not just words spoken directly to you, but words we read online, words we hear others say when we're on our phones scrolling or on social media, we're on our computer, we're on our TV, or we're hearing words other people say, maybe not to us, but around us. So in all likelihood, you often hear more words than you say in a given day. So how are we to think about the words we hear? I think for starters, it's important to recognize that we are affected by other people's words. There's no point in trying to deny that. You are affected by other people's words, for better or worse. You know, there's the old phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Why do we all know that phrase? Why is that like a common phrase? Like, you know what? That phrase was written and spoken by someone who was hurt by words but trying to convince themselves otherwise. And so you know how my mind works? I'm like, why is this a thing? Where did this start? Well, the oldest piece of literature that has that phrase written in it comes from 1857. But here's the thing. In that piece that we have, it says and refers to the, quote, old phrase. So in 1857, it was considered an old phrase. This thing just goes back. And I say that, and none of you, I, I'd be, tell me after if you've never heard that before. I'd be shocked. We try very hard to convince ourselves and anyone who will listen that I don't care what other people think. I don't care what other people say. It doesn't bother me. I'm untouchable. But it's a lie, man. They do affect us. Particularly, the closer the people are to us, the more they affect us. Proverbs 12:18 says, "There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, 
but the tongue of the wise brings healing. This is why poetry matters. It explains life even some more times than real life does. That a rash word is like a sword thrust into your soul. Words have the power to wound. It's why when you have your annual review at work and you're told of several great things that you're doing really well, but there's one area you got to improve in, you go home dwelling on what? The one area of negativity that says you're not good enough. It's why athletes who get on social media, especially the younger athletes now, and they, they have a game and they want to hear what are people saying about them online. So they go online they, and they research their own name on whatever platform they're on. And there's maybe hundreds of tweets of praise, but then what's the one they respond to? They respond harshly to the one that was negative. You see, we hear it all. We know we hear it all. But we tend to dwell on the negative. I don't necessarily wish for you to go do this today, but if you were to honestly share the times where you have felt most emotionally wounded in your life, the vast majority of those times will revolve around a hurtful word that was spoken to you. Words can wound, and wounds leave scars. Do you know what a scar is? Do you know how a scar happens? Uh, if we were to go around, I, I imagine most people in this room have some scar on their body, maybe somewhere on your hands, your arms, your face. Uh, it's easy to get a scar. Uh, our six-year-old, Brinley, has a little scar on the right side of her bottom lip. And it goes back to Super Bowl Sunday, 2020. She was three years old. We had just moved back into the parsonage after the renovation was done from our rental house, like maybe a week earlier. We had a new couch, like the one new piece of furniture in our home. You know Rochelle, man, it takes a lot for her to buy a new piece of furniture, all right? We had a new couch in this newly renovated home. And we're having a Super Bowl party. Brinley is all hyped up on the Cyrus and Super Bowl staples, all right? M&Ms and wings and all the good stuff. And she's running around like a wild woman. But you know what? We're not really paying attention because Super Bowl, all right? And so she stumbles on the carpet. Nobody saw how goes headfirst into the wooden cup holder of a new couch. And, you're, and, and immediately we're like, why do we have a wooden cup holder and a new couch? We've got young kids around here. She cuts open her lip, and we're treating it, and then we have the discussion that all uh, moms and dads have had, do we have to take her to the hospital? Well, this needs stitches. We determined, no, because Super Bowl, all right? I mean, this is... This was hard. This was hard. We would have been willing. But that wound turned into a scar. How? Here's how. When a skin is wounded, it breaks tissue open. It tissue breaks. And the body immediately begins to produce a protein called collagen, I might be saying that wrong, that builds tissue where the wound was damaged or where the skin was damaged. This collagen helps to heal the wound. And that collagen continues to get produced for several months after the wound happens. So the blood supply at that location increases, causing the skin to be slightly raised and bumpy, forming a scar. And what is left is a mark on the skin that remains after the wound has closed. Okay, so then this line comes directly from the NIH's website, National Institute of Health. Here's the quote. Quote, scars may fade over time, but often never fully go away. Some of you have physical scars, but I think all of us have some emotional scars.
that likely came from a hurtful word that began as a wound and turned into a scar. Because we are impacted by other people's words and how we see ourselves and how we see God and how we see others. So words matter. Words you hear can also be categories in the form, categorized in the form of temptations, that there are words that tempt you, that encourage you to sin against God, to go against God's design, that there's a word that tries to lead you astray. Words you hear can also distract you from the things of God. Maybe it's not in sinful in and of itself, but there are words, or us just being consumed by words that just distract us from God. They're not necessarily destructive, but they're distracting. And they lead you astray mentally before they lead you astray physically. And we're not able to avoid these things entirely. Right? We're living in this world. You're going to hear words. But we should be honest about not exposing ourselves to them more than we need to. Proverbs 13, verse 20, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 14, verse 7, stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. All right, before we move to the final point, just, I, I, here's how I want to apply this. I want us to, again, just have some introspection today, moving on the rest of the day into this week. Can you ask yourself this question? Where am I exposing myself or avowing myself to foolish talk when I don't need to be? If you did an audit of your time, an audit of your consumption, the music we listen to, the shows that we binge watch, the movies that are filled with destructive speech, the hours and hours of scrolling on TikTok, and maybe some of you are thinking, like, here we go. Knew we were going here. Here's the, the media police. Nothing more than PG-13. Honestly, I have no interest in policing anything in your life. But I do want to ask you for, to be left alone to your own thoughts. Do you have to listen to it? You have to. That's the music you have to listen to when you work out? That's the show you got to watch on a Friday night? For four hours, you need to. You, you, do you have to let your kids be on that platform? Just no filter, no time restrictions. There's no compromise here. I'm not policing. I really have no interest in asking personally. I just want you to ask yourself have you really thought deeply about that which you consume and decided that's what's best for me? Philippians 4.8 says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And the reality is that the things that you allow yourself to hear will turn into the things you allow yourself to think about. Well, words are not only uh, that which we hear that can be destructive, but just like the first point, they also can be life-giving. On the positive side, when somebody gives you life-giving words, it makes you feel like you can fly. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But look, but a good word makes him glad. Glad could also be translated, translated lifts him up, like goes up, like feet off the ground. I feel like I'm on cloud nine. When somebody gives you a well-timed word, it makes you feel like you can fly. 
Wind is at your back. You can do anything. We talk about this often, how prone we are to discouragement. We are all malcouraged in this world. And that's when God works through the word of another to lift you up. I've quoted this before plenty of times, but it's worth it again. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, little thin book, great book, Life Together, he gives this reason to be in a Christian community. Quote, because the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Positive words can come in the form of encouragement. It could come as a reminder. It could at times come across as a rebuke that might not feel great in the moment, but turned out to save your life. Because it came from somebody who had a great love for you. All this to say, we talk at Grace Church all the time about being in relationship where people know you. Right? Pastor Ben came on, our associate pastor, overseeing our spiritual formation. And the big key is that we want to be a place where you can be known. Get yourself in areas and spaces and groups and classes where you can be known. Where, where people can feel empowered to speak into your life. Where you can know them and be empowered to speak into their life. I know many of you are, are where you are in a good way today because someone spoke courage into you to do something that you might not have done on your own. Because words... God uses them to empower, especially the ones that come directly from him, which leads to our third point. Words, God says. Words, God says. All right, let me open this with a question. Has anyone ever said to you, um, who do you think you are? You ever been on the receiving end of that? Maybe the giving end of that? Who do you think you are? It's usually spoken with a harsh tone, with impatience, and frustration. Um, you did something or said something that led to an aggressive response. Well, when somebody asks, who do you think you are? They are implying, do you know who I am? We say that out of pride. God says it out of love. That the storyline of Scripture reveals a God who wants you to know who you are. Because he's ultimately a God who reveals himself to be known. And he does so how? All throughout the Bible. By his word. When he speaks creation into existence in Genesis 1, we see that he does it by his spoken word. Let there be light. He breathes life into mankind made in his image in Genesis 2 by his word. And then God himself takes on flesh in John chapter 1, at the beginning of the New Testament. The word becomes flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible is a storyline of God's word. And through his embodied word, Jesus Christ, God breathes life into mankind once again giving them what's called a new birth in John chapter 3. A new birth by faith, restored in his image forever and ever. And in Christ, you are who God says you are. Who do you think you are? In Christ, you are fully loved, fully known, 
fully protected by His grace that will never leave you nor forsake you. And His voice, an audience of one, is the only one that matters because the Bible says all this around us, it's going to fade. It's fading. The wounds are going to fade. But what? The Word of the Lord remains forever. The Gospel whispers to you, who do you really think you are? Do you know how valued you are? Not conceptually, really. Do you know? Because when you do, when God opens your eyes to how valuable you are, then you will be able to answer the most important question you'll ever answer. And it's the question that Jesus asked his disciples as they were walking on the road in northern Galilee. And the question was, who do you say I am? And your words in response to that question, your response to hearing his words to you and the offer of his word in the flesh, Jesus Christ, changes everything leads you to not just believe in him in concept, but to follow him as a disciple, to commit your life to this. It changes your heart, and then it changes your words. A Paul in Romans chapter 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth, words, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Words. Proverbs is the wisdom that leads you to Christ to secure your eternity. And then Proverbs is the wisdom that leads you to his written word to guide your every day. Like we are invited to be acquainted with this word every single day. You get to do this every single day. This is one of the hallmarks of the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago, that the Bible can be read by all believers. It can be understood and applied by all believers in their own study, as well as in the gathering and in community. And this word will shape your thoughts, it will shape your behavior, it will shape your joy, it will shape your impact in this world. It will inform the words you say. It will inform the words you process that you hear from others. And it will allow you to feast on the words that God says. So you saw it this morning. Women of grace, can I just say a word to you? You have a golden opportunity right in front of you to join in with the initiative to read through the Bible in the month of August. To join the other women, the idea of you reading personally, but you're doing it in the midst of community, and that the entire Bible is going to be read by the women of this church in one month? Can I just tell you, you don't have to pray about it. All right? Sign up. Be part of that. Don't let that pass you by. What a gift. Uh, Christy, as she said, it's the third year that uh, they've been doing this, this initiative, and she longs for the women of grace to be women of the word to be students of the word, not just to build up knowledge in the women of our church, but when when our women are the women of the word, it multiplies the effects in our marriages. It multiplies the effects in our families, in our workplaces, in our friendships. Get in on that. Be a student of the word. 
because his word is still working. It's alive and it's active. And it's why to answer Tish Harrison Warren's question in the New York Times last week, that God is still making poets in 2023. God keeps making poets because we ourselves are poems of God, created to know him and to be known by him. Who do you think you are? His son, his daughter. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes now, everybody. Eyes closed. One of those poets that is still going in 2023 wrote a song that I heard yesterday, timely, driving in the car. The song is called You Say. And it's a new poem that reflects ancient truth. I'm going to read part of the song Eyes closed, hear these words in your own mind, in your own heart. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. And you say I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, you say I am yours. And I believe, oh, I believe what you say of me. I believe. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how your written word leads us each week to your embodied word, your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And so, Father, that is our prayer that that I believe, and yet we know that you need to help us in our unbelief. Father, we ask that your spirit would empower us to believe that which is true. That who you say we are is in response to who we can say by your grace who you are. You are our cornerstone, for it is in your son, Christ alone that we find our purpose, our meaning, that we can repent of our sin and be fully restored by you, Lord. Let that ancient truth fall afresh on us today. Give us a renewed passion to motivate and apply what we've heard today. Let it be all for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing in response.